This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Here's the staff to Riley's. He drops back. Blue Chiefs looking for Everly. He's going. Going to the end zone. Now McDavid walks in right circle. Back to Everly. Touchdown Eskimos. One-timer score. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 chat. All right, let's get it going. Rangers and Lightning scoreless. Six and a half minutes left in the first period. Senators already up 2-0 on the Bruins. That's in the first. Stars won. Capitals nothing. Also in the first period. Still to come tonight, the Sharks and the Jets. The Briar in full swing. Kevin Cooey, Albertan, playing as Team Canada because he won last year. He trails BC's John Morris 4-2 after 4. One of the young guns, Alberta's Brendan Botcher, trailing Manitoba 4-3 after 5. Botcher really can't afford any more losses. He's 1-3. Cooey sitting there at 3-0 as he takes on 2-2 John Morris. Hey, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on 630 Shed. My name is Reed Wilkins. The Oilers back at it tomorrow against the Islanders coming off a win on Saturday. And here comes Connor McDavid. He's got his man beat to the net. Backhander score! Connor McDavid, coast to coast, tucks the backhander home. Won the faceoff. Goal! Adam Larson. Wrist shot off the post and in. And now Everly breaks free down the slot. Backhander score! 3-1 Edmonton. Drives out a right wing. Dishes off. Gets it back. And fires off the side of that. Threw it in front. Maroon scores! 4-2 Edmonton. 4-3 would be the final over Detroit. The Oilers in control through most of that game. They outshot the Wings 38-25. They're 35-22-8 on the season. Reed Wilkins coming to you at 6.08. Joining me in studio tonight to get it going. He's sticking around, working a little overtime. Back on Inside Sports by popular demand. Oh, is Afternoon. that true? Afternoon news host and renowned comedian, Andrew Gross. Hey, Andrew. Well, Reed, thanks so much for inviting me and bugging me to the point where I agreed to stay again. Um, I'm not a sports guy. I think I said this last time I was on. I'm not a sports guy, just a fan of sports. You're a huge fan. I am a huge fan of sports, and more so this year than any other year before. Here's my problem. The last time we were together, we talked a lot about football. Yes. Now, I'm comfortable and confident when it comes to talking about football, both from a playing and a coaching perspective. And I watch football like I think most sports guys watch football, you being uh, in the category of sports guys. You look at it analytically. You look at it from a strategy perspective. You look at it in a lot of different ways. You don't just look at it and enjoy it. But hockey, I just look at. Yeah. 
Well, I still enjoy all the stuff I watch for sure, but y- y- there there are different levels of. You're right. There are other things going on in my brain besides sure. the emotional reaction. A- a- absolutely. So, but you're more. You feel you're more analytical and knowledgeable about football. I do. I, I feel like. Where did that start? Well, that started with playing football in the first place. The reason I love football, the same reason, and I don't typically admit this in front of Morley or uh, Gila and I. I like watching football the same way I like watching curling. Now I always pretend that I don't watch curling, but I. I actually watch it all the time because it's a big game of chess and I, it on. I love seeing what's going to happen and what the call is and how much confidence a skip has in his his leader his second or his third um in football i like playing i like making the call um before the play and i like calling the penalty uh, before it's been announced i like doing that kind of thing and that's the entertainment value i get out of football and and i'm not always right obviously, Mm -hmm. but there's a real strategy to football and because it stops and resets and starts again. Well, it's easier to discuss the strategy in game, whereas hockey... It's so fluid. There could be a key moment, but then before the next whistle, two other things happen, so you don't even go back and revisit it, right? Right, exactly. Like in football, you know everyone's going to basically line up every couple of minutes in pretty set positions, so everything's going to restart and and start again from a set position. In hockey, it's so fluid, it's happening, you know, and things could be happening behind the play, and a, a freak bounce changes everything, and uh, yeah, so I just find hockey a little different. I'm so excited this year, though, and not just about the potential for what the Oilers can do this year. We all know, you, listen, it, it, short of a complete disaster, the Oilers are going to at least the first round of, uh, mm-hmm. of playoffs. I'm excited to introduce a whole new generation of fans to playoff hockey. My son, my daughter. I'm, when I think back to watching in, what, 2006, and that was the first year in which I actually watched every game. And I didn't watch every game of the season. I watched every game once they made the playoffs. And I still remember us getting by Detroit. And, and in fact, back up. I remember us winning a game against Detroit and thinking, oh, good. We're not going to get... It won't be four straight. Yeah, <laughs> it won't be a four straighter. And then as we advanced, uh, I mean, I would rush home. I would get my snack food ready. I would get the TV warmed up. I mean, I had to, I had to watch it all. I, and like I say, I joined it in playoffs. And then I've been watching every game since. I, unless I'm working mm-hmm. or, or traveling, I've not missed an Oilers game since that season. Right. And I've been waiting for this again. But I've never experienced playoff hockey in Edmonton. I've expl- experienced it elsewhere in Calgary. Um, I guess that would be about it. But where, sorry, where were you in 2006? I was here. Oh, you were here, okay. Yeah, so, but, you know, I had a passing interest in hockey. And in fact, you know, like, to be honest with you, I would check in and check out with games and see how they were going and read how they went the next day, that kind of thing. I, I now don't want to miss a minute of it, but I'm excited for what's going to happen surrounding the playoffs. I'm excited for the fact, when I think about Hunter, my son, and... How old is he again? Now, he's 20 right now. He's 19 right now. Okay. We'll say 19 or 20. It's an estimate. <laughs> just just, a, just yeah. a rough estimate. He's in his either late you teens or early 20s. Child. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. He looks just like me. Um, now, I tried to introduce him to hockey, but I introduced him at a time. You took him to games. You sat down on, t- you know, watched it on TV, ordered pizza so that he'd eat and watch the tube. During a time in which we had no playoff hopes. And he tried to stay interested. Yeah, I could see him fighting to stay interested, and then pretty soon it was, well, he'd sit with me and, and be on his phone during the games, or or he'd say he had to run upstairs and be back in a half an hour, like that kind of thing. At one point, he tried cheering for Vancouver, 
And and honestly, I think he just wanted to cheer for a team that he thought could advance. So eventually, he just lost interest. Right. But now he's, you know, as I say, 1920, old enough to go to a bar. Um, I'm not going to be watching these playoff games uh, at Rogers Place. I'm, I'm going to be watching them probably in a bar. Mm-hmm. And I want him to see the excitement that surrounds. And it's going to be, think about it, Twitter didn't exist when the Oilers were last in playoffs. Nobody has tweeted about the Oilers in playoffs yet. It hasn't happened. Right. Well, that's I'm, a good point, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited for a new generation, my son included, to go to a bar, watch it on a wide screen, eat chicken wings, drink beer, and see what it looks like when an entire bar goes crazy because we just scored the uh, go-ahead goal. So, okay, speaking of being a fan, I mean, that, that leads me to something. People can text 630-630. When it comes to a team that I'm cheering for, uh, now, for the Oilers, it's an interesting experience because as an Edmontonian, I, I want the Oilers to win, but mm-hmm. I'm not actively cheering during games, and right. I have to have a job where, or I have a job where after the game I have to try to speak. And I'm going to tell some people something here. A lot of people were upset at me after the Nashville game because I tried to figure out why that was offside. Okay. I'm not saying necessarily I agree with it, but I said, okay, here's how it's worded, how I think they could have let it stand. As a result, quite frankly, I hardly watched the third period because really? I was reading the rules. Yep. Trying to, so, so that's the experience I have. Uh, for the Eskimos, I can be more of a fan. And I've said I'm a season ticket holder, yep. but I still have to do you know interviews and analytical type stuff. But I can be more of a fan while the games are going on. And historically, when it comes to a team I'm, che- I'm cheering for, I can't watch the game in public with a group of people. I either am in the stadium or I'm, oh, watching, on, or I'm watching on TV with... So you're you know, saying you're unable to? I, I can't, yeah. I, because if I go to a, a, a pub or a bar to watch a game that I'm really invested in, I just find it too distracting. And huh. there's too much you know, too much chatter and too much noise, and I might hear some miss some of the commentary or miss a, miss a replay. <laughs> yeah. like if it's a Super Bowl and I don't, I don't really care, I, yeah, sure, I've watched that with larger groups of people or a couple times gone to a pub. So I'm curious if people need to be, if they're not at the rink, if they have a place where they feel most comfortable watching watching game, and if they're like me, where it's hard to watch it in a large group of people outside the stadium. I mean, clearly at the stadium, but it's a, but it's different than huh. watching it on TV. So if I'm watching it on TV, I need to be absorbed in the broadcast. That's interesting because I don't recommend watching football with me, for example. <laughs> I, it's not going to be a good time, and and I don't really like watching football with other people. I'm happiest in the stadium by myself, uh, or at home watching TV by myself and tweeting about it. I'm, and that's I'm I'm the happiest. I, I make the call. I don't care if anybody knows that I'm right or wrong on the call that I made or anything like that. But I'm really engrossed in that well, game. Well, Twitter's an interesting, Twitter's an interesting forum for sports fans. Yeah, because. In a way, you, you feel can like be you're with watching everybody, it. Right. and you can be sitting by yourself, right? Because you can type something and get a response, or re- or respond to somebody else, or say or it, think what staff are thinking about this. Yeah, you know, and, which I do do. I mean, when I watch both, well, mostly when I watch the others, I keep an eye on your feed, Stoffer's feed, Jack Michaels. I, I you know, um, the guy from the Sun. I can never remember his name. I, I sort of keep an eye on everybody's feed to see if there's something that I missed, right? But the difference between for me and football and hockey is football. I really want to, like I said, I want to really want to want to break it down. I want to understand it. And in hockey, I just want to jump up and uh, kiss a strange woman. That's what I want. <laughs> 
<laughs> I just want somebody who would otherwise never show me any attention jump up and, and hug me. We got Andrew Gross in studio. Don't forget we have the Oilers and the Islanders tomorrow. 5.30 face-off show. Game will start at 7 here on 6.30. Ched will preview that game with Chris King. He's the play-by-play voice for the New York Islanders between 6.30 and 7. But more when Andrew, when we get back, Inside Sports on 6.30. Ched. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 6.30. Ched. Jordan Everly has seven points in his last eight games. Todd McClellan commented on that today. We'll get to that as we move along. Inside Sports on 630 Chet at 6.20. Thanks a lot for uh, tuning in. We'll also be joined by Jim Pop tonight. He's the new general manager of the Toronto Argos after a couple of decades with the Montreal Alouettes. Of course, he and Mark Tressman taking over. Tressman's going to be the head coach after uh, Jim Barker was fired. Scott Milanovic went to the uh, NFL kind of late for them to take over in terms of the offseason, so we'll see how that's affecting Jim Pop, who's been a pretty good GM most of the time. Uh, just a few texts here, uh, Andrew. Uh, this text just says, uh, John says, I'm the same way. I won't even let my wife and kids watch games with me. I need my space to watch the play and replay without distraction. This texter says, uh, this is a texture from the Killam area. I go to the bar to watch the game to get away from the chatter at home. At least some of the people at the bar are invested in the game and not asking me to take out the garbage, telling me how their day was, etc." <laughs> No comment. You know something else that's changed for me this year, and you used to ask me about this all the time. You've asked me several times over the years. Mm -hmm. If I'm a hockey fan or if I'm an Oilers fan, and I would tell you that once the Oilers were out, I stopped watching hockey, and that I don't watch other teams play. I I have no interest in watching other teams play. That has changed for me this year as well. Yeah, I'm now watching important games. Calgary meets up with L.A., I'd like to see that game. Uh, Or Chicago's in Calgary, I'd like to see the team we're going to play in the back-to-back. So I find that there's so much more to watch now. I'm not as invested as when the Oilers are playing, but I'm more interested now in what the other teams are doing. But having said that, though, let's say the Oilers go to the second round and are eliminated. Are you going to watch the West Final involving the team that beat the Oilers? I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I'm pretty... uh I'm in for a penny right now. I don't know if I'm in for a pound on this whole thing. <laughs> well, you're in for a pound with the Oilers. I guess which, I am, which yeah. Which is great, which is great. Yeah, uh, you know the other thing that I sort of found out that I thought was interesting in traveling down to Punta Cana and traveling down to Mexico, and I wear my Oilers hat everywhere when I'm traveling. And by the way, I highly recommend it when you're traveling to wear the, the, the logo of your team because you'll meet so many more people than you would typically meet in a resort. I'm, I'm typically never meet anybody. I wear that Oilers hat. I'm meeting all kinds of people, but not Oilers fans. I'm meeting hockey fans, right? right. Met uh, Well, as you know, I met a bunch of guys from uh, the Columbus uh, Blue Jacks, actual yeah. players. Yeah, we're at my resort. <laughs> That's funny. But I met a lot of fans from a lot of other teams. And the other thing I find sort of interesting, as much as we talk about Connor McDavid, and as fabulous as he is, the excitement for Connor McDavid is not nearly as uh, acute elsewhere than it is here. And we think that everybody knows about Connor McDavid. We say it all the time. The whole league's talking about Connor McDavid, and I would suspect players are. But fans aren't necessarily. Well, I, I, yeah, that's that's an interesting point. I mean, I think I, I think people are, but if you don't see a player every game, right. and on, on the flip side, I mean, it was interesting that last week because some fans were furious Brandon Davidson was traded, mm-hmm. and and other fans were just like, you know, one guy actually texted in and he said, outside of Edmonton. Nobody cares about Brandon Davidson's story with the testicular cancer and being a sixth-round draft pick right. and making the NHL. He's played 91 games. He's not playing on our team. 
why would anybody else think this is a big deal? Yeah, it's traded, interesting. Right? So I, I talked to a guy from uh, Chicago. Actually, he's from Toronto, but he's a big uh, Blackhawks fan. And he literally, I mean, this, this is a quote. He was like, hey, how's the new kid working out? What's his name? That's what he said. And I was like, Connor McDavid. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because what makes him good? And I was just saying from my perspective what makes him good. And then he talked about Austin Matthews. And I was saying, well, you know, and again, I'm no sports analyst, but I said the difference between Austin and Matthews and Connor McDavid is that Connor McDavid makes plays and, and Austin Matthews finishes them. I mean, to me, that's the difference. You won't see Connor McDavid shoot the puck as much as you see Austin Matthews shoot the puck. They're two different players, but both incredible assets to their team. But he was like, oh, so he's like Patrick Kane then. Like he was trying to put it in perspective as to what I'm talking about with this guy. And I don't expect them to be as excited about a Connor McDavid as you and I are, or Edmonton Oilers fans are. But he's also not... I, I guess if the Oilers were coming to your town, but you'd it, want to see him play. And again, the Oilers have to be in the playoffs. He right. has to do it in, in the playoffs. Yes, right. Because then right. every yeah. game's national. Then there's more American media. You know, then ESPN might cover it a little more and have video on their website. Right. I mean, that's really where you... you you know, you get the yeah. headlines and, and you start to build up your career, right? I mean, you you got to succeed in the playoffs. So maybe if, if the Oilers get in, which they, they will get in, and then it's a matter of how far they go and how McDavid shines. I mean, that's where I think he's going to get the attention. Not that he's not getting attention, no. but anyway, he'll be even more known in other uh, markets. The average and, fan and, and as opposed to the average analyst. Yeah. Right. Let's face it. A lot of people in the East aren't staying up to watch Oilers games if they even have access to the Oilers games. Right. I mean, um, we're, we're in our final minute. I want to get back to your football thing because you were talking about how you watch a football game differently than you watch a hockey game in terms of your level of analysis and critique I guess yep. of what is going on. When you coach football, uh, did you call plays and if so, which side of the ball? Uh, I, In my first year of being a head coach, I I coached the defensive uh, unit because that's where I had played and I was most familiar with it, but I soon realized that you can't be a head coach and not call the offense, at least not at that level, Bantam. Okay. Um, so I called it. I called it. Uh, I called the offense for four years. I'd send the play in with a wide receiver, so whichever wide receiver was on my side of the field, they would swap out and uh, bring the play into the quarterback. Um, and then I just I had to walk away from the defense, but it's really, I mean, to this day, it doesn't matter if I'm watching Bantam or the Eskimos. Um, I see a bad lineup or I see movement in the backfield or I see anything. I'm screaming at my TV like I would be on the sidelines for a Bantam game. You know, motion, motion, it's motion, move, move. Right. Just, I mean, once, <laughs> once you've been bit by that bug, it's, uh, there's no cure, I don't think. Andrew, I really appreciate that you stuck around, buddy. This hey, you know what? It was fun. For me. It was fun. I got through another one. We'll see what the feedback's like. Oh, you're coming back. No, I don't know that for sure. I, I like to leave him wanting more. I think I might have done that last time. <laughs> we didn't even touch on uh, what's going on with your comedy career, but I know it's going to Nah, well. nobody needs to know about that. It's fine. Th that is Andrew Gross from the 630 Chet Afternoon News, staying uh, late to help us out on Inside Sports tonight. Always fun. What's going on with the New York Islanders? Hey, they're pretty dangerous again after a rough first half of the season. We'll get the story when we get back. Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Hi, this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Note from the Eskimos today, they've extended the contract of offensive lineman Matt O'Donnell. He'll stay an Eskimo through 2020. So four more years for Matt O'Donnell. The old lineman, the big guys, O'Donnell the biggest of them all, 6'11". 350 pounds. He's been a pretty good Eskimo ever since uh, he joined a few years ago. 
Just updating the scoreboard, Dallas leading Washington in the NHL, 1-0 after 1. Also after 20 minutes, Senators up 2-1 on the Bruins. Rangers and Lightning are scoreless almost halfway through the first period. No score between the Sharks and the Jets. At the Briar tonight, after 6, BC leading Team Canada, skipped by Alberta's Kevin Cooey, 4-2. And Alberta's Brendan Botcher in a tie with Manitoba's Mike McEwen, 4-4 after six ends. We'll keep you updated on those. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on 630 Ched. The New York Islanders making their one and only visit of the year to Edmonton tomorrow night. We'll have it for you on this radio station. And Chris King will be calling the game on the Islanders radio network. Chris, welcome back to the show. You're on with Reed. How are you doing, man? I'm, I'm doing great, Reed. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. It's good to talk to you. You'll get uh, to broadcast a game from Rogers Place tomorrow. So that'll be pretty fun. Now, you've been in a new building with the Barclays Centre, but before we talk about the the Islanders under Dugway, what's the latest here with the Islanders? Because there was that story that maybe they wouldn't be back in that building in the next year or two. What's what's happening with their arena? Yeah, there's a lot going on uh, as far as that's concerned. Obviously, there have been multiple reports that, uh, you know, that they might be looking at other places, uh, you know, to have an arena of their own. Uh, Some of those possibilities are... Um, an area outside of where the Mets play in Queens, uh, an area next to Belmont Park, which would bring them back to Long Island, or believe it or not, the old Nassau Coliseum actually reopens in less than a month now, and uh, that would be a possibility as well. So, uh, you know, they have a 25-year lease at the Barclays Center, but the team has an out at three or four years. The building has an out at four years. So, you know, there is some thought that uh, their new owner, John Ledecky, may want a building of his own and just has been exploring the possibilities. So, uh, you know, they could be in a lot of different places. Nobody quite knows uh, where they're going to be, but certainly the rest of this year and at least, you know, one or two more years, they'll still be in Brooklyn. That, that's an interesting discussion because, I mean, when you and I have talked before, it, it was so exciting that they were moving and there was so much buzz that it was going to be a better spot and, and better to get to, but I guess uh, the, 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 the reality hasn't quite been that. Well, again, I think it's just more that, uh, you know, Mr. Ledecky would prefer, again, I would think, to have his own arena, which is, uh, you know, not the arrangement he has right now. And uh, it could still work out where they end up going back to Brooklyn. That's certainly a possibility if they want to renegotiate that deal. But I think he's just doing, you know, what a smart businessman does is just explore all the options. And, you know, there's certainly uh, interest to bring them back to Long Island, which would be, you know, a PR home run from that standpoint. Uh, The Coliseum has gone through, you know, a $130 million renovation and is ready to open in less than a month and, uh, you know, has been downsized a little bit. So I don't know how real that possibility is, but the, uh, certainly the one that's had the most legs of late is uh, an area next to Belmont Racetrack, uh, which is technically still on Long Island and, uh, you know, has, has had drawn a lot of interest, let's say, from all the, uh, all the interested parties. Okay, on the ice, this was a team that uh, was really right around 500, which in the NHL is pretty poor. 13-6-3 under Doug Waite. Right now, sitting in a playoff spot, one point ahead of the Toronto Maple Leafs, couple points up on the Florida Panthers. Just tell me a little bit about Doug Waite's impact and uh, what you think he might have done as a coach to sort of get the team back on a good track. Yeah, as you mentioned, Reed, uh, you know, when Jack Capuano was fired back on January 17th, they were last in the Eastern Conference and had a lot of teams to jump over. Well, here they are, eighth, and, you know, hanging on to that second wild card spot. And you talk about Dougie's record. He's done a real nice job. You know, X's and O's, he hasn't changed a heck of a lot. He said, you know, from the beginning, the one thing I want to do is play less in my own end and play more in the other end. He adjusted some things that, 
You know, he wanted his centers to do down low in their own end, wanted his wingers to do up high in their own end. But really, there hasn't been a lot of change X's and O's. And I think, you know, it's a tribute to Doug and just his personality and what a great communicator he is that, uh, you know, he's been able to help this team turn it around and put him in a playoff spot with 18 games to go. So I think, you know, the respect that he has in that room goes a long way. Uh, you have to remember, you know, this is a guy who's played over 1,200 games in the league. He's put up over 1,000 points. He's won a Stanley Cup. He's represented his country, uh, you know, in international competition. He's been a former Islander player and captain along with assistant GM and assistant coach. So he's just got so much respect from everybody in that room. And, you know, he's a real good, as I said, communicator one-on-one and also to the team in general. Uh, and the guys just, you know, generally like him. So uh, he's doing a terrific job, and it's still got a ways to go. And, you know, but the fact that they've gone from 16th to 8th in, in his 22 games speaks volumes. All right, and finally, Chris, there was a lot of speculation around Yaroslav Halak at the trade deadline last uh, last Wednesday, including that maybe he was going to wind up here uh, here in Edmonton. Obviously nothing uh, developed, but what? just tell me a little bit about Halak and how that factors into the overall picture for the Islanders' goaltending situation. Yeah, I mean, he's not on their radar right now because, you know, they had carried three goaltenders almost the entire year, and uh, it's just a situation, Rita, as you know, you know, you can't fit three cars in a two-car garage. That's really what it comes down to. No goaltender is happy when they don't have their own net to themselves in practice. So, you know, Garth Snow finally made the move to put him through waivers, there were no takers, sent him to the Bridgeport Sound Tigers, and he's done a terrific job there. He set a franchise record by winning a dozen straight games. So, you know, Garth, when he sent him down there, said, I hope he goes and wins the Calder Cup. So, you know, his uh, mindset right now is let Yarrow get his game back together in Bridgeport. And up at the big level, you know, the Islanders right now have Thomas Grice and J.F. Barube. Grice is, you know, certainly the number one guy who's going to run with the ball and get the majority of the starts the rest of the way. Whether they decide at some point to bring Yarrow back, you know, that's, that's something else for down the road. But right now they're happy with both goaltenders that they have up at the NHL level. All right. Well, Chris, I look forward to seeing you tomorrow. You're going to enjoy checking out Rogers Place, the brand new building we have here. And uh, I know you're busy and you have to fit us in here between some other responsibilities. So really th- appreciate that you came on the show, man. Yeah, no problem, Reed. I'm looking forward to seeing the building. I can't wait. That is Chris King checking in tonight, play-by-play voice for the New York Islanders, the opponent tomorrow for your Edmonton Oilers. The Oilers practice today. Oscar Clefbaum missed yesterday's practice. He wasn't feeling great. He was back out on the ice today, and Chris Russell skated after not playing on a Saturday against Detroit. We'll have to uh, see, though, more about his status when uh, they get out there for the morning skate. We'll switch gears a little bit to a little uh, football. One of the most successful GMs, in the history of the Canadian Football League, now taking on a new venture in Toronto. Jim Pop, when we get back, Inside Sports on 6.30, Chad. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 6.30, Chad. Cam Talbot and the Oilers, 17 games left in the regular season. 12 of them will be at Rogers Place. All right, Jim Pop and Mark Tressman were a great GM-coach duo with the Montreal Alouettes. Now they will try again with the Toronto Argos, who are coming off a pretty poor season. Jim Pop, the GM of the Argos now, he joins us. Jim, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. Well, it's great to talk to you, and it still sounds a little funny to me to say Jim Pop of the Toronto Argos after so long in Montreal. Uh, how does it sound to you? How's the change been, the transition been going? Well, I'm excited. Uh, you know, I had uh, 21 great years in Montreal, and and uh, CFL's been very good to Jim Pop, and uh, I, I love the league, and, 
Um, but, you know, things change, and uh, I'm up for a new challenge. It's a new chapter in my book, and and I'm ready to get started. So it's, it's a lot of fun. It's exciting right now. You know, one of the stories for the Argos, Jim, was the – uh, when the changes were made in terms of uh, coach and, and the previous coach and GM moving on, um, is I mean, a lot of people say, well, this must be challenging for Pop and Tressman to come in late. Does, does this feel like a late start to you to get ready for a training camp in May, or what are some of the challenges you're facing with the timing? Well, there are challenges. I mean, obviously getting a coaching staff together and, um, you know, for them to put a playbook together, get the language going. I mean, wow. I mean, we're not far off. I mean, we, you know, we got the combine coming up, and then before you know it, it's mini camp, and mini camp's not too far off uh, to look at these guys for the first time. So, the biggest challenge, I think, more than anything, is to get the coaching staff together, get them up to speed, and them ready to go when, when, uh, when they actually see the players and and start getting to it. So, it's going to happen fast. What are some of your early impressions now that you're on the inside of, you know, being part of a franchise in, in Toronto? You know, I, I would usually interview Mr. Barker uh, every season, and he talks sometimes about the challenges with the, the practice facility and uh, the home games in, in the Dome in Rogers Centre, though I now know uh, it's in a different uh, stadium. But, I mean, that's kind of a franchise that I think a lot of people on the outside gym associate with instability, with fewer fans. What are some of those challenges? How are you experiencing those now that you're on the inside? Well, I tell you what, when I sat down and uh, with uh, owner Larry Tannenbaum and Mr. Cope and uh, Bell and know what their visions are, know, um, you know, what's been going on in the sports scene in Toronto is just amazing. And, and you know, their involvement in it, uh, having an experienced uh, person like Michael Copeland in the front office as your president, um, you know, I see nothing but great things that can that are potentially there to to grow from and and I got it real excited when I sat down with them all and and heard about what their visions were you know them wanting to know what my visions were going to be and us just collaborating together and you know and being able to get Mark uh, Tressman to come back into the CFL and us to collaborate to get together uh, we have a great working relationship so. I like what's happening. There's a lot of work to be done. And, and for me, uh, I can kind of mirror that to what went on early in Montreal uh, and even early in my career where I, I was part of startup football leagues. I was part of uh, revamping teams uh, to get them back to winning teams and, and especially expansion teams. So, you know, it's a real challenge to get in here and, and try to get things uh, turned around, uh, get the fans more involved, tremendous stadium the the facilities will get better and um you know and some of the things we're challenged with mark and i have been faced with in montreal so you know we're up to the challenge we know what we can do to to uh get things started the right way jim pop gm of the toronto argos joining us on inside sports night you mentioned mark mark tressman i mean what an amazing uh run you and he had uh, together in Montreal. He was the head coach. Obviously, he spent the last few years in the NFL. Uh, you know, you're reunited, if you, if you want to use that term. I mean, you know Mark as well as anybody. What makes him such an effective coach and leader? Well, you know, he has a different style, but it's it's a very direct style. It's, um, he, you know, he, he really 
gets the attention of the players. Uh, they'll they'll buy into his way uh, once they see it in action. They'll appreciate it. But the biggest thing, Mark, and, and along with myself, we're we're more concerned about the person and trying to make them better. And you know, I know for Mark, you know, football is an avenue to teach that and uh, you know, and to embody them as a person to be as as good a person as they can be as, as much as be as good a football player you can on the field. So uh, he gets their attention. He he, he really uh, coaches his coaches, and he, he gets them to teach the players. So when they hit the field, uh, there's there's not too many stones that aren't uh, turned over that they're not prepared for, and it's just about playing the game as clean as you can and uh, mistake-free and, and taking care of your advantages. But he has a unique way of getting that done. You know, I, I've never seen a team uh, go very far in the CFL without a, at least an above average, if not excellent quarterback. I think that's proven time and time again whenever you see whichever team it is uh, lifting the Grey Cup at the end of the year. Uh, just what did it mean to you uh, just to hear how enthusiastic uh, Ricky Ray sounded about, uh, you know, Tressman coming in and, and uh, the season ahead here? Well, I'm sure Ricky is excited. You know, unfortunately, Ricky, and even for the, you know, uh, for, for Scott and Jim, you know, it's been challenging uh, when you've had injuries and, and things get uh, maybe off uh, base a little bit. And, you know, it's just part of the, the business, you know, sometimes. So there's all good football people there. But Ricky, you know, Ricky, I'm sure, wants to get into a situation where he has a healthy season, prove that he can still play at a very high level. I know last year before he got hurt, uh, you know, when they were 4-2, and two, he was playing at a high level. And, um, you know, it, it's just a situation that, you know, I know he probably looks at Anthony Cavillo towards the end of his career, and and uh, Mark probably did a great job of trying to figure out a way to extend Anthony's career and get the most out of him. But when you hit the field and the players know in the locker room, you've got a future Hall of Famer that gives you a great chance to win. The confidence is very high, and uh, and that's what Ricky Ray brings because he gives you the best chance to win right now. And you know, having the other quarterbacks such as Drew Willie and uh, you know and some others that we picked up, um, you know, they can learn from Ricky, and then maybe they're going to be as prepared as ever. I, I know being with Mark, he gets these quarterbacks so prepared. Uh, when it comes time for us to pick the team, it's very difficult to decide who we're going to let go <laughs> it, it, because they usually operate the system well. Jim Pop joining us on Inside Sports, general manager of the Toronto Argos. Jim, just a couple more for you. I, I mean, we touched on, you know, you've been a general manager since uh, 1994, so, uh, you know, an incredible run in the CFL that is obviously continuing maybe this is going to be tough to narrow it down, but when you look back, what's the biggest change you've seen in the Canadian Football League in your time in the league? Whether it's something on the field or, or whether it's something off-field or, or the, you know, the salary management system that, that came into place, is there anything you look back on and say, wow, that's different from when I was with Baltimore in the mid-'90s? All the game's always changing. You know, um, it's evolving. Uh, you've got to... I mean, if you blink an eye five years later, things are very different. And you've got to be able to adjust to the times. And um, that will always happen. That happens in any sport. Football is football on the field, but uh, the chess match and and the things that go on with it, uh, there's no question. Obviously, you hit on it. Um, 
uh, you know, in this in this business, in this sport, the quarterback's a huge part of having some of your success. But, um, you know, different defenses, different offense. I know when Mark came in the league uh, for the first time, he brought something different, and a lot of that's been built upon over the years, even since he's left. Uh, we were doing something different. So people that in, are innovators that can get it done on the field, uh, it's changing. But um, I can tell you from the time I came into the league till today, uh, uh, there is a, a much very, more solid ground within the league. Ownership's only improved. Um, uh, even the Canadian player, uh, the talent's always been there, but the level of play in the CIS has is, is risen. Um, it's very competitive. It's it's not easy to win. I don't care where you are in what sport. Uh, once you learn to win, it's not it's not easy to stay at the top. So you got to be on your toes and willing to change along the way. All right, and my last one is I, I love going down memory lane, and uh, you know the Baltimore Stallions uh, won the Grey Cup in 1995. And that was a team that got a lot of support. I mean, certainly of the uh, of the U.S. teams that were in the CFL. I mean, I think they're pretty much uh, accepted to be the, the most successful on and off the field. What was it like having a Canadian football team in uh, in Baltimore? I, I mean, I'm just curious about the fan support you remember and uh, and the vibe that was around that team before you know. I guess the NFL came back and and you guys wound up in Montreal. Well, the, the community, you know, the city of Baltimore was hungry. They had been without uh, a pro football team for 10 years. And it was very supportive. It was during an era, uh, we, we were there at the right time. Uh, Montreal, I mean, um, Baltimore is a very unique place. Uh, very blue-collar uh, people, fans, extremely supportive. Uh, obviously, when you have the type of team we had for two years, uh, it was a little easier to get them involved and, and on board. And uh, the one thing we did is that we did it the right way. We did it uh, the Canadian football way. We didn't fight it. We didn't try to change it. And, um, you know, we had great people, you know, starting with uh, Don Matthews. So, uh, you know, it was a great time. It was, that was a great two years that I had. And I think that team, everybody on that team would tell you that. But uh, it, was a, it was a team that respected the rules and the game of the CFL and went about it the right way. And that, that's one reason we had the success we did. Awesome stuff. Jim, I really appreciate you making time for us on 630. Chad, all the best with the Argos this season. An incredible new opportunity for you and great to have Mark Trespin back in the league as well. Thanks so much for your time. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Go Argos. All right, there it is. He ends with a little go Argos. Jim Pop, the new GM of the Toronto Argos after two decades with the Montreal Alouettes. Did a pretty good job there, and Mark Tressman, an outstanding coach, helped, obviously, that he had Anthony Calvillo. We'll see if they can uh, turn around Toronto. Eskimos news today, Matt O'Donnell re-signs four-year extension, well, three-year extension, but he's here for another four years. More on that on the Eskimos page on 630Ched.com. Oilers and Islanders tomorrow on this station. The U of A Golden Bears, we knew they were going for nationals, but they are Canada West champions thanks to an upset win in Saskatoon over the weekend. We'll talk to one of the heroes, Jamie Crooks, when we get back. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.